You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. Hi, everyone. My name is Peter Cleary, and I'm a principal here at Santa's Health. On today's episode, we are discussing the federal fiscal and economic snapshot. What does it mean for healthcare organizations, and what is next for Canada? Joining me virtually are my colleagues Stephanie Gower and Ian Chesney. Stephanie is a Senior Director of Government Relations here at Santos, and Ian works out of Ottawa as a Senior Consultant with me. Thank you both for joining the discussion today. Thanks, Peter, for having us. Thanks, Peter. Uh, yesterday, we're here following the fiscal update, um, the long-awaited snapshot of just how much the federal government has spent in the past couple months. Uh, I think it's the first time we've seen a true cost figure come out of the government. PBO obviously has been putting out weekly updates to try and give a snapshot. $230 billion at the same time as revenues took a hit of $71-ish billion. Staggering reaction, Stephanie? I mean, I think to some extent, this is what we were anticipating. Like you said, Peter, you know, the parliamentary budget officer has been estimating uh, deficit of what approximately 250 billion so this is obviously much more than that I think the the real shocker though yesterday was the fact that the total federal debt will exceed one trillion um, yeah. for me that was a real a real staggering number I agree I mean certainly I think this is we weren't expecting good news going into this I think the federal government this was something that they had to do and the way that it's laid out is really reflective of that in that there is bad news up front, but then the rest of it is basically a litany of the previously announced programs in various areas of spending on COVID. I do think the deficit figure is shocking. $343 billion, to put that in context, that's 96% of the total 2019 federal budget. And I think if you think about it like that, um, it really hits home what kind of economic state we're in currently. I think the most disappointing thing is, it, you know, from, from my perspective too, Peter, is that there's really no plan um, and, and recovery, you know, sort of plan going forward in this document. It outlines a debt management plan and, you know, utilizing the historically low interest rates. Um, but where's the plan for small businesses? Where's the plan for municipalities, charities going forward? Um, the, it's really just lacking any details in, in terms of that. I would, I would expect that the Prime Minister will need to come out following yesterday fairly quickly and indicate either what those plans are or when we're going to start get those, getting those plans. I mean, it could come in two forms. They could start doing what they did prior to, um, uh, prior to the fiscal update and just make an announcement in a given day and worry about getting legislative approval later from the House, which seems to have worked so far. I'm curious to see how, how long the opposition will withstand an announcement that they're expected to rubber stamp later, uh, or if they'll come out with something a little bit more as a significant economic plan, a budget, whether or not they'll actually come out with a thoughtful budget that will carry them beyond a six-month time frame, because the difference between a budget and this, and this is just telling us what they've already spent. A budget lays out what they're going to do over the next five years. And to give a sense of, I was just reading the articles and everybody, everybody, a lot of the media referenced uh, that this is the most spending since World War II. In Canadian dollars in 2020, uh, the cost of World War II over a period of 10 years was about $400 billion in 2020 uh, dollars. Um, we're not even close to being done this thing. 
Uh, we're not even close to uh, putting funding in place to actually recover uh, uh, the losses that businesses have lost or getting Canadians back to work or frankly, putting any money into healthcare that will help with sustainability. So I don't, what, what do the feds need to do on health? Well, I think just before we get we dive into that, Peter, I mean, I think the way that the Prime Minister and and um, Minister Morneau sort of message this now going forward is really important too to, to Canadians. I think there was, you know, there was a lot of a lot of Twitter commentary yesterday about Trudeau's comment. We took on the debt so Canadians didn't have to like whose money is it? It's ours. We're going to be paying for this over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I, I mean, I think personally, that's a bit offensive that he said that. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, like I said, the Twitter commentary was, was um, you know, pointing that out to him as well. But um, to, your, to your earlier point, the economy is nowhere where we were 10 years ago. We've lost all of that growth. And um, so, so what does that mean in terms of spending, a budget, all of that? I think, you know, there, there's a few options in terms of how to grow the economy. And it'll be really interesting to see if they actually look to do a formal budget, uh, a, a stimulus budget, perhaps prior to an election. I mean, I know we'll dive into that, but I think there's really only two main ways that they can grow grow the economy right now and, you know, increasing productivity and increasing labor market participation. Right. And you can't, you can't really do the, the second one with a, with no immigration at this point. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I do think though, that on principle at the end of the day, um, there were, there's really two options to approach a crisis like this. And if government, government can borrow at lower rates than the average Canadian, everyone knows that. And it's better on principle, I believe, for the government to take on this deficit. We can argue about the figures and, and, you know, and if certain programs were unnecessary and certain spending was unnecessary. But at the end of the day, the other option is for Canadian consumers to take on this in the form of consumer debt. And so, you know, I think it can be argued that generally on principle, the approach is right. Um, again, to Stephanie's point, I do think I agree that some of the figures are pretty shocking and it does leave us wondering what the next step is, how we get out of this situation. Peter, you raise a good point about a budget. I mean, at the end of the day, you're correct. This was not a vehicle for spending. This was really something that they had to do. Um, and they designed it in a way to deliver the bad news that they knew they had to provide. Um, but also to basically use it in some way, you could even argue as a very early uh, indication for an election of, of trying to kind of till the soil and set a narrative on all the areas of support that they provided um, that in the absence of a liberal government, uh, Canadians would have been left holding the bag. And I mean, I agree with that to some extent too, Ian, like, you know, if you look at it in sort of the global context, what would the Conservatives be able to offer that was any different? Um, you know, we're seeing some of the most Conservative governments around the world operating in a similar fashion as the Liberals. I mean, six months ago, Boris Johnson and, and the UK were the best promoters of a free market. Now they're subsidizing 75% of workers' wages. I mean, it, it's something that's happening around the world. So what, what would the Conservatives be able to offer that's any different? Uh, I, I mean, I think that's a question to, that everyone's thinking now, too. 
I think it's a good quote to bring up because the reality is that was clearly a clip that they wanted the prime minister to have. That was clearly the headline that they wanted to leave behind, which is that we're taking on the debt so Canadians don't have to. The, the, the issue I take with that is it, it tells the story appropriately, sure. And I think, Ian, you kind of described why they would have tried framing it that way. The reality is um, there are a lot of businesses in particular taking on debt. And a lot of the government programs are actually not cash to businesses, it's tax or it's, it's, it's interest-free loans. So the, the reality is there are a significant number of uh, Canadians and businesses taking on debt in all of this. It's not just the government. It would probably be nice to see that kind of framing thrown into the mix as well too, to not pretend that it was only the federal government. But the reality is, is better for uh, a, a, one of the 8 million Canadians who got CERB uh, to get money from the government and pay a, you know, a minimal taxes, if not any taxes at all later, then live off a credit card where you're going to get a 20%, 30% uh, interest fee. So like, I get the principle of it, but I think, um, I think it's, it, it needs to be stated that there are a, and the government needs to state it beyond us, that there are a considerable number of Canadians and businesses that are going deep into debt. You walk around downtown Ottawa right now, you go to the market. I went down there yesterday. Uh, there are just bars and restaurants, some of them busy, and then some of them just completely dead. And I think we're about to go into a six months of really seeing the impact of the businesses and the organizations, both health and non-health related, that are taking a hit. Let's, let's get into health charities, for instance. Uh, you're seeing uh, Heart and Stroke, Canadian Cancer Society, and, and a lot of these standard bearer brands of Canadian healthcare firing half their staff. It's at, and, and we're not even out of the thick of it. So if we look at what the federal government has done so far in healthcare, um, what have they, what, what should they be thinking of? Did they do anything wrong in the first couple months? Um, and, and, and really what's, what's left out of the picture right now that they, they need to put a focus on? I, I mean, I agree with that completely, Peter, in terms of the assessment on, on small business and, and charities and, and, and all of that, you know, in terms of the charitable side of things, they've seen their donor pipelines completely dry up. Um, so that's that's one piece of it. Um, and, you know, these amalgamated programs um, to to sort of uh, allocate the funding across the board, I, I'm not too sure how that's working. It, it, I certainly don't think there was enough for all of the, the charitable sector to be to be divvied up. Um, I, I do think that, you know, coming together with that one voice, though, as a sector is certainly much more effective. Um, but, uh, is it enough? No, I, I mean, I don't think so at this point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think they still, of course, have a, a ways to go. I, you know, I, to think about the last few months and the role that the federal government has played. Um, I, I think one area of criticism is early on, there was an attempt to kind of over design and redesign various programs and spending. And there was a lot of um, uh, fixing programs Actually, yeah. and changing things to fit certain sectors and subsectors. And I think that um, at the very least will make for a very complicated tax year, tax year next year. But uh, in, in reality, that, is, um, th that approach uh, has caused a lot of problems for them. And I think that going forward, where they're better... Um, the, a better approach to support provinces is is going to be in areas of 
uh, uh, health uh, transfers and financing. And I, when you spoke to their support on health, um, one of the areas that I would like to see is the federal government uh, take on uh, a stronger role in increasing health transfers. And I think that's something that um, will be really important for provinces and territories as they now continue to navigate this um, uh, going forward. There has been, of course, some area, some support from the federal government already on this uh, in the last few months, but I think that that's going to be one of the major areas of support um, that we'd like to see going forward uh, for provinces and territories. So let's be, let's be honest. Um, you know, they're, they're getting PPE under control, right? I at least trust that they are. Um, you have uh, drug shortages that are, uh, that are only going to become uh, ever more rampant as supply chains get uh, stressed and as the uh, use of particular drugs, especially those on ventilators, is, is through the roof. Um, you have a long-term care system that is nothing short of broken, you have a home care system that is, depending what province you're in, it's at a different state of maturity. Uh, and in some circumstances, I feel is kind of the lost, lost um, subsector of, the, of, of healthcare during this pandemic. And you have staff in the hospitals and elsewhere in the sector that are just completely exhausted. Uh, and this, this actually is a pan-Canadian concern, uh, which is we not only need to... Um, recover our losses, uh, we need to bolster and prepare. And I don't get, I don't get the sense uh, that I, I'm not hearing that from any government. And I think part of it is that the governments are focused on, we want to show to the population that we're recovering, that we're opening up, that we're kind of moving to the next phase. And I, like, it might just be the jaded person in me, but part of me need to, like, feels that they should be saying, well, actually, there's, there's, there's a whole different strategy going on here simultaneously because there's a good chance that this recovery thing isn't going to work very well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, no one is really talking about a second wave. I, I you know, looking at Ontario specifically, um, I, I think that they should still be focusing on PPEs and testing and ventilators and making sure that we actually have everything that we need in case there is a second wave. Give an update to the public, too, as to where we're standing on all of that. Contract tracing, that app still hasn't even rolled out in Ontario. There's been a, a lot of initial delays with that. And was the initial investment from the feds enough for that? L likely not. Um, you know, and then the real push for supporting a, a local manufacturing as well. Um, where are we at on that? I, I think all of this is still, you know, um, it, 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 the government and the bureaucracy really rolled things out quickly, but also struggled to um, manage the process. And it, I feel like it, it was a, a very delayed process on a lot of things that should, should have been relatively simple. So I think Canadians, certainly Ontarians would like to know, you know, are we ready in case there is a second wave um, in, in the fall? And all of these things are still top of mind. At least I think they should be. Ian, can, can, can the public health, um, can public health say that they, uh, they did well? Were they prepared? I mean, we know, we know of public health units that were operating on fax machines. Um, were they prepared and are, like, do we have the confidence that they're, they're prepared for the future? Or, or is this a situation of, well, thankfully, because there's a bunch of smart people, we just kind of got by in the last couple months. 
It's a good point. I, I, I think there's a few areas where public health faltered early on um, and other areas where, uh, where they have demonstrated leadership. And I think that can give us some confidence going into potentially, Stephanie spoke to a second wave or some are predicting now it will be in Canada, less of a second wave and, and more of little flare ups in different geographic pockets of the country. Um, on public health leadership, I think fundamentally there was a failure on masks and on the um, uh, and on the communication and information to Canadians around masks. At the end of the day, while the research does show that wearing a mask is more about protecting other people than protecting yourself, um, uh, clear and consistent consistent messaging on that point uh, lacked from day one. I think there was a lot of confusion for sectors. Um, uh, you know, there was obviously a lack of and a shortage of PPE going into that generally um, to boot, uh, but, and, and they sort of seemed like they were playing this strange kind of catch up game where it was, you know, they, they were trying to address the PPE issue, but at the same time reassure everyone that, you know, the average Canadian doesn't need to wear a mask and, and that kind of messaging led to a lot of confusion. Um, I also think with masks, um, there's, there's uh, a demonstration of solidarity in wearing a mask. And I think that's important when you're trying to mobilize the public to take a pandemic seriously, particularly when it's an existential threat that we can't really see on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's easy for a lot of people to forego some of the precautions that they could be taking. And I think they've my hope is that they've learned from that a bit and that, you know, I, the messaging has changed from public health, certainly from Dr. Teresa Tam. Uh, there's a bit more of a, um, you know, I, I guess you could call it accepting the fact that, um, uh, that masks should be utilized by the average Canadian. But I, I do think that, you know, they, again, they've been sort of slow to take up these things. Uh, you know, there's a lot of new technology. I mean, that all three of us have been, have been exposed to from clients that Canada could be utilizing that they're not. And, you know, it's, it's those kind of systems when they become overly slow and, uh, and, you know, that's, those are areas where they really need to, I think, step it up over the next few months. I think they have a bit of things are getting better now and they have an opportunity um, to do that. But, uh, but I do think that, you know, I, I definitely feel more confident now um, than I did a few months ago uh, with our public health system, but I, I, there has been a lot of areas of improvement. I mean, I think the communications aspect on, around the masks is still kind of broken, right? We're seeing in Ontario municipalities doing their own individual mask orders and mandatory orders in, inside public spaces or, or uh, whatever it is per jurisdiction. But the province is saying there's no way that we can enforce that and we're not going to look at doing a, a provincial mandate for that either. Um, so, or a man, mandatory order. So, um, I, I mean, I think that's causing a lot of problems just, just on its own too. Um, you know, people, people don't know how to react to this. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot on social media about people not refusing to wear masks, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a little bit more guidance from the province and the feds on that would be, would go a long way. I think it's two parts. I think they need um, clear guidance on how to use a mask and they also need to think about 
on the back end, how are they procuring these, this PPE? Because right now you have municipalities, private sector areas of the healthcare system, the public sector, the federal government and provinces competing for the same supply right now, which is driving up prices and, and our own jurisdictions are gonna pay through the nose because you have the uh, region of Waterloo uh, competing with Vancouver. Uh, and that, and that's, a, that's a big problem when it comes to a lot of different supplies right now in the, health, in the healthcare system. Let's, let's kind of, let's wrap up by thinking about, um, you know, kind of the, the, the political implications of healthcare. So uh, in the next couple months, we're going to continue to see uh, a greater uh, emphasis on a potential election. We're in a minority government. We will have a new conservative leader. So it will actually put ourselves in the position where we can speculate about a campaign in a way that we perhaps can't do now. What is the, what is the winning issue or strategy for the political parties on healthcare. So what do the liberals do with their laundry list of commitments from, uh, from pharmacare to, uh, to uh, uh, transfers for home and community care? What, what did the liberals do with those big ticket items that they've already had that you can argue they probably haven't done too well on? And uh, Stephanie, you kind of alluded this, to this before, um, but what, where do the conservatives uh, put themselves? What's What's the, what's the uh, approach that they'll take to kind of uh, differentiate themselves on supporting Canadians during a healthcare pandemic over the next, say, six months? I mean, I think, first thing, minority governments don't, only typically last 18 months, and they don't have to, we haven't seen a global pandemic to this scale before with a minority government. So um, let's just keep that in mind as we're, as we're looking at sort of the election calendar. Um, I mean, I think we will see a budget in the fall, as we were talking about before, followed by an election. Um, it, it, it'll be sort of the, the same spin. Um, you know, we, the, the Liberals have weathered this COVID storm. Um, we've supported the Canadians in their time of need. Um, but we can't build up Canada or restart the economy with a minority government. We need the full support of Canadians to do that, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the Conservatives will be in a really precarious position. We're electing a new leader at the end of August. Um, so that doesn't leave much time for fundraising, uh, staffing up, writing a platform. Um, and I think the Liberals would be obviously smart to use our, those vulnerabilities to, to your advantage. Um, but in terms of what the Conservatives can offer, I think it goes back to my earlier point. What, what's vastly different that we would have done in, in this situation? But I, I go back to that sort of uh, typical conservative question or typical election question is who do you trust with your money to manage your money um, and to rebuild the economy and I think that the main difference will come down to sort of that competent money management piece regardless of who the conservative leader is and um, I would expect to see that the team around whoever is chosen as leader many of them will be you know familiar faces that worked with Prime Minister Harper in 20, uh, 2009 when we have weathered serious economic economic storms before. So I, I think sort of there will be two, two questions and they'll be fairly general, but who do you trust with your money and who can rebuild the economy? Um, and where does, where does the healthcare piece fit into that? I mean, certainly in Ontario, we'll be looking for substantial investments into um, obviously the long-term care um, system. Where do we go from that? We're, we're looking at obviously having a, a review here in Ontario, but where do the feds insert themselves? And that will be a big question. 
um, you know, healthcare infrastructure hospitals uh, focused on that as well. Um, and, uh, but, but I really think it's going to be about the sort of the fiscal management um, and, and competency that will come into question. Yeah, I, and I agree in, in terms of likely to see some kind of fall budget that in, then really becomes an election platform that the Liberals run on um, uh, in, uh, in an upcoming election that I think we're all starting to consider more and more is, is uh, a more real possibility uh, on the immediate horizon. Um, you know, I, I think the challenge that they're going to have is, of course, the um, is just is basically a, a battle of explaining uh, the the, me the metric that is the deficit level at its its current state heading into an election. I, I think fundamentally that there will be some pockets of Canadians who take issue with that, uh, and there will be attempts by opposition parties to paint a picture of uncontrolled spending and basically poor fiscal management. At the end of the day, I do believe that Canadians, um, there is at some level, I think, in an emergency and a crisis, an understanding of, uh, you know, spending levels will be higher than normal. And I think there are ways for the Liberals to navigate this around this as they head into an election. Um, it will be interesting to see what additional priorities they run on because Peter, you made a good point about uh, previous priorities. I think a lot of that is now called into question on some level. There are things that they will want to return to, but I don't think they're going to make a lot of progress on those priorities um, in the rest of the minority government mandate. And it will probably turn to things that they uh, feed back into their potentially fall budget uh, and ultimately an election platform. But there are also new things that have come up. I mean, we spoke about long-term care. That's going to be an area where there is much more public pressure now than there was before to uh, take a serious and hard look at the state of our, of seniors care in Canada. Uh, and those are the additional pieces that um, I think are going to have to play into their priorities. Um, ultimately, I think from the Liberals, what you will hear is, uh, is that, you know, Canada weathered the storm, right? And I think that our COVID numbers, you could argue in some respect, show that. Of course, fiscal management and rates of COVID infection are very different things and they're not connected. But at the end of the day, I think that will paint a narrative for Canadians of strong leadership in some respects. And I think the Liberals will hope to capitalize that, even with the deficit figures where they're at, uh, heading into an election. I mean, Ian, I, I beg to differ, though, a little bit in terms of the fiscal management COVID numbers. I think that Conservatives may argue the fact that if we had a, a more aggressive strategy and locking down the borders and limiting flights and travel into the country, um, at an earlier state that we wouldn't have had this massive, um, you know, this massive economic sort of storm and shutting down the economy and now recovery phase. Um, and I, I think we will hear that a, a bit more from from all the leadership candidates and, and whoever's elected leader as well. So, I mean, sure, but there's there, name the country that got away with keeping cases low and not shutting down their economy. 
Like it, it doesn't exist like that. So like, I like those arguments to me, I feel like it's just going to be part of the, the discourse and people are going to say it, but it's not based in reality because the, the reality is this is the, the saving grace for the liberals is that they get to compare themselves to all the other countries that have had to take similar measures at a either similar or different time frame. But I would arguably, I like arguably uh, the countries that have done well uh, made the same decisions within uh, within uh, a matter of weeks of the first hundred cases, and uh, there will always be um, uh, some hindsight issues. Uh, but I, I don't I wouldn't have seen uh, you know unless we want to try and experiment like Sweden uh, or the United States. I don't know I don't know what else the 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 country could have done other than to your point, which is true. Of course, you can act faster. Um, and, and that's just kind of hindsight being 2020. I think though, the difference between the liberals and the conservatives, and this is going to be, this has been the, the difference between them before, and it'll be the difference again. Uh, we're probably going to see in the next year, a question to Canadians of how interventionist do you want your federal government to be on healthcare? If, uh, if they want to do it, the conservatives will, uh, traditionally provide transfers to the provinces, provinces, you do what you wish. And I think uh, the federal government under, a, under the Liberals, or at least the Liberal election platform, will probably include and test the appetite of Canadians for the feds to make a bigger move into healthcare. So how do they amend the Canada Health Act? What do they do with pharmacare? What sort of, how prescriptive do they be with healthcare, uh, uh, with healthcare funding? I think that will be the key difference between the two, and it will be up to Canadians to decide how they think uh, uh, the federal government should play, play in that space. And it'll be super interesting see, uh, seeing this play out with um, uh, a predominantly uh, unfriendly premiers compared to 2015-16 when the Liberals did this with uh, a bunch of friendly premiers. And even that, was a, even that was a rough ride. So I think I should throw it over to final thoughts. We should probably wrap it up. I don't know, uh, um, Stephanie, if you had any, any final thoughts to kind of leave us with and then, uh, and then Ian, then we'll, we'll let people go on with their days. I mean, I just think that we, you know, we probably, I hate to say this, but we probably haven't even seen the worst of, of the economic piece yet. I think we're, we're yeah, waiting, you know, the next six months, we're going to see some, the next round of big layoffs happen. We're, we're going to see potentially, uh, you know, a second wave or, or as Ian said, a uh, little flare ups everywhere. Um, I think we're still waiting to see what the liberals what the liberals uh, are planning, um, and also if an election's on the horizon, how the conservatives really you know can differ themselves. Not to mention, we haven't even raised the NDP in all of this. They've been pretty quiet throughout this entire thing, with the exception of a few few issues and supporting the liberals when when required. Um, but uh, what are they doing as a party? Um, you know, I still I think they're still reeling from their election debt from the last election. So how are they going to fare if there's an election in November? Um, there's, there's just so many unknowns at this point. Um, and I think we just have to wait and see what happens over the next six months. Yeah, and I think that's been the theme with all of this, right? Is it's, it's we don't have a crystal ball and we can't, we can barely see six feet in front of us. And that was really reflective of the federal government's fiscal update. And to Stephanie's point, you know, it, it didn't provide much of a plan longer term because uh, they are taking things one day at a time in many respects. And it, it really is impossible to predict um, what's going to come in the future. I think as, as things head more towards the fall and this goes on longer and longer um, and we get closer to election mode, um, 
I, I think it will be really interesting to start to see relationships between the federal government and premiers uh, and tensions start to um, boil up along partisan lines and, and, and those start to relationships start to kind of sour in ways that they've sort of um, held together over the last few months, obviously, um, uh, because of solidarity around dealing with COVID, uh, around supporting Canadians. And, uh, and as that starts to move forward, I think that's going to be really interesting uh, because that's when this is going to get really tough for governments. Uh, is when we're we're you know we're heading into the dog days of the pandemic as this goes on longer and longer and to, as what we've all been talking about is you know there isn't an end in sight on this. I mean we could be experiencing this for the next two years and and I think that's going to be the toughest test for for both the federal government and um, provinces and territories ultimately. Um, but that's ultimately when we're going, uh, that there's an opportunity for anyone, regardless of partisan stripe, to really shine and show leadership uh, in pulling the public through that. Thanks. Thanks, team. This was fun. Let's come back and do this in a couple of weeks when we have, uh, have something else to hook on to with the federal government and uh, find out where these parties are going to go and, and see what sort of focus they're going to put on health. And, uh, and we'll chat then. Sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at santashealth. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.